you don't always need to throw your arms back full, right? When we have these lower kind of out of control uh, sets and the wind is blowing the ball around, to go through your full four-step approach with the same timing, the same depth, and big, long, flowy arms, you're usually not going to have a lot of those opportunities. Guys, today we're talking all about how to win in the wind, how to win when it's really windy. And uh, we'll get started on that in just a few minutes. Again, we are live from St. Pete Beach in Florida. We just had a fantastic talk with the St. Pete and Clearwater Tourism Board. Um, And uh, we're looking forward to being here for a long time, to keep coming back here. Uh, Florida has treated us really nicely, and we want to keep rocking on it and people love coming to florida so if you guys want to come to a camp this spring april 3rd has three spots left uh we just took a look at the signups and we only got three spots left for april 3rd to april 10th so if you guys want to jump on that you go to betterbeach.com forward slash camps well i think you're you're on your way with the seven day mobility challenge which is pretty cool um seems to be going well i know we're already getting uh a decent amount of questions and some people that are already thanking so um i haven't had a chance to watch those yet because i've been busy with camp but uh, i plan on starting my own when i when i get back into hermosa and have uh have my home back it's been i think i've been away from hermosa for about four weeks now uh and i love it here but you know there's no place like home (laughs) holla at that yeah now uh you are doing a 75 hard challenge and then you're going to jump into the 60 day max vertical along with the 75 hard so tell us just about 75 hard just so we can kind of get that ball rolling yeah, one of our coaches here at camp this week, Chad Mercado, it's like a self-discipline challenge. Um, you know, kind of going back to what you said in the past is, uh, you know, I think the last two years, um, I put a lot of a lot of my energy into uh, the company and trying to get this this system rolling and and kind of moving in, a, in the direction that we we kind of planned for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of put myself second, like a lot. And, and it, and it definitely, I think it, I'm, I'm seeing it, you know, I, I, I feel it in my health. I feel it in my, in my play. I feel it in my friendships, um, my, my family relationships. Um, and so for me, it's, it's just a way for me to find a way to balance my days a little bit more, um, with 75 hard, what it is, is, um, you have to do it's just a bunch of challenges that you have to meet daily so uh you have to drink a gallon of water you have to uh you have to follow a some form of diet doesn't have to be anything crazy just some form of diet Uh, for me i'm i'm doing gluten-free dairy-free you know so i know those are some things with me that uh make me feel a little funky so i'm Mm -hmm. just going to avoid those for the next 75 days and probably further uh no drinking um uh, no junk food. Um, you're supposed to read or you have to read 10 pages a day of some form of motivational, uh, or inspirational book, um, which I am not, I have not set up a certain amount of time for reading in the past. So it's kind of nice to have that. It's a, it's a nice way for me to like relax during the day and slow my brain down. Um, and then something else I'm doing is meditation. Um, 
And, you know, I, I'm just, I just really want to take, start this year off well, you know, I want to use this momentum that I'm going to gain with this challenge into the AVP season. Um, and I think if, uh, if I can kind of just concentrate on my overall health, uh, mind and body, then, um, it's going to set me up to be a better person. So yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to, to, to do it. I'm on day three. um but it's going great so far and uh it's really nice to have like we chad built out this community on instagram where where we have a big group and i think it's like 25 of us actually johnny uh i don't know if you know him he was a little bit younger his name's johnny gomez um amazing guy right yeah he played at mason and i didn't even realize it but he's on he's in that group um a lot of volleyball players uh and it's it's just nice like every time i open up my instagram or anything like that i see a bunch of messages of like you got this like just so much support and it's it's been pretty awesome already so i'm I'm looking forward to the whole thing that's great yeah we had something similar going so i know you got your uh your support group there and and your friends there and our support group in the seven day foundations program as i mean people are, are in there already uh mm-hmm. throwing out their problems throwing out their goals what we had them do their homework was to write down what they want to be written on their gravestone. You know, I think it's called an epitaph. Huh. Because if you're going to create micro goals going forward, you have to know somewhat how you want to end up and then build towards that. You know, if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. So for me, it's to be a grandpa sitting around a fireplace with a with a bunch of little kids and telling stories everywhere and every walk of life Uh, in no way. And I know that I'm on a volleyball podcast right now, but in no way do I want the end of my life to be like, here lies Mark Burke, the volleyball guy. Like if my life is summed up in volleyball, I don't feel like I've, I've lived to my full potential. So I want to keep going for that. And in order to do that, I need a little bit of financial freedom so that I can go on different adventures in different countries. And I need to say yes to a lot of weird opportunities and I need to keep learning in all different sectors so that I can have those good varying stories. I don't mm-hmm. want my uncle, old Italian guy from Brooklyn. He had like great stories, but he had three of them you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he put them on yeah. repeat. Yeah. So oh, I want to have a whole, a whole book of stories from different countries and, and I'm working on that and uh, that feels good. And the important part for our group was that they didn't need to have it shaped completely. I said, Mm -hmm. just start writing. Give me the first ugly draft of what your goal looks like. And let's see how we can kind of drop back down. And then we're now we're setting metrics uh, in the group. So as our seven day foundations group, we got 97 members that signed up. Now we're setting metrics. So every goal that they have for the next two months, they have to set a number because we had a bunch of people that said, I want to cut out sweets. You know, I want to drink less. I go, that is not measurable. Mm-hmm. You need to find a number, put a number to it with your statistics and everything, and then right. carry on into 60-day max vertical. Uh, I had them all do their vertical their vertical jump max, uh, their test. Uh, they had to do uh, how many squats they could do in one minute. And some of them who are experienced lifters, I said, you're going to give me your one-rep squat max and your one-rep power clean max so that we have those numbers. Oh, we also did uh, three broad jumps. So you total the number uh, that you total the, the distance of three broad jumps. And that's how we start the testing. And if those people carry on with us in 60 day max vertical and beach volleyball mastery, then 
uh, it's going to be a, a good start. So yeah. it's all about goal setting right now. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, how to win when it's really windy. Um, and I just, I, I want to go ahead and start off because the first day at camp this week, it was obnoxiously windy for what we've been experiencing at camp. And one of the things that I, when I spoke to everybody at the beginning of camp, one of the things that I challenged everyone to do was to not complain one time about the wind. And I, I think that that's a, that's a really big moment because I know when I first started playing and I came from indoor where obviously there's no wind. And then I went on the beach and it was pretty much like if it was over 12 miles per hour, I was like, why are we even signed up for this tournament? Why are we playing? Can we get our money back? Like, I, I didn't want to be out there, you know, and then eventually I realized that the wind could be my friend, you know. Um, and so I think like the first thing that we need to talk about before we even think about strategy, before we think about anything else is just changing your mindset about wind. Don't look at it as, as being evil because it's not going to change. Wind doesn't have emotion, you know, it's not going to listen to you and automatically stop. Um, but if you can go into tournaments, understanding that you can use the wind to win, then I think you're already setting yourself up for a good spot. And I, I even had some people come up to me at the end of practice and they were like, you know, it, it was kind of crazy. Like not just not complaining about the wind almost made me forget about it, you know, and then you can almost find your natural game style again and, and kind of keep going. So that, that's my first key. I like it. Make <laughs> it your friend. Yeah. Love it. You know, mm -hmm. it should be, the wind should be a big neutralizer. It should, it should bring certain teams that are normally uh, mismatched in terms of height and in terms of power. It brings them onto a more level playing field usually. And then it comes into ball control, the ability to stay low. So the first thing that I'll give, so we've got make the wind your friend. Just love it. Don't complain about it. Don't whine about it. That's the weather. You're going to have to play no matter what it is. Second thing I'll say is, mobility is absolutely going to be key in the wind. The way when that top spin hits the wind, the top spin is going to make that ball dive down faster, right? When that happens, you're going to have to get low. You're going to have to get into these awkward, deep squat, deep lunge positions and still have the strength to hold your balance when you're in a super deep squat, super deep lunge. Because you want to wait for that little moment. If you can keep the ball kind of out of the jet stream, if you can wait extra long before you contact the ball instead of being up tall and then hitting it up high, you want to be low before you contact it so that the ball doesn't get high. It stays here. It stays, you know, in extreme wind, maybe antenna height, a couple balls uh, above that. So if we measure time from my contact to my setter's contact, if I stand up tall, and I have the same time, that ball gets a little bit higher into the air and wind can take a little bit more control, right? If I contact it low, then I can have the same time between my forearms and my setter's contact, and that will allow them to control the ball more because the ball will just sit into their hands. It'll almost be at its neutral point in its journey up and down into their hands so that they can control that set better. But if I make that ball go way up above the top of the antenna when it's windy, then that ball has to fall down as the wind is affecting it. 
and the setter is not going to be able to control that. So I'd rather the ball be almost at its apex when the setter is touching the ball rather than the apex be way above the setter in windy conditions. So mobility allows you to get low and that will help you make more plays and more control for your setter. Yeah, and I, I think something to kind of continue on with that is like the common, whenever we teach that, one of the things that is brought up right away is well, that's not enough time for my setter to get there, you know? And I think once we decide that we, we are going to lower our play, so if it's super windy, um, you if you and I were playing in a game together, we would have this conversation beforehand and I would say, hey, Mark, let's let's go ahead and bring everything down you know, let's let's make sure that we're playing low and faster so that we're ready. And then we're starting to depend more on our accuracy, you know, like mm -hmm. obviously whether or not I'm passing a ball six feet above the top of the antenna or if my peak is happening at the top of the antenna or lower, the area on the on the court doesn't change. Um, so if we decide that we're going to be passing lower or setting lower, then we just have to quicken up our steps. So, or make them earlier, not even quick it up. Oh. So if I decide that we're going to go low, then we just need to make sure that we're heading in that direction as a setter a little bit sooner than we want, we would want to normally. Um, same thing when we're attacking, you know, if we're going to run a low set, then your timing step isn't going to be on the setter's touch your timing step might be just before the setter's touch. For those um, people who are new to our vernacular, what do you mean by the timing step? So when I say timing step, uh, it's something we commonly say when we're finding our, our approach. You know, one, one of the big issues that we see in a lot of volleyball players is that after they pass, they just run straight to the net and try to hit. Um, a timing step is something that you would use um, still maintaining space from the net and this would be the first time that you plan on going forward and your timing step is the first step of your approach that you would use to kind of help you feel in rhythm with the play um, if you don't find that timing step then it's really hard for your setter to give you a good set because more than likely you're not you don't have the ability to adjust um so I think a timing step is, is something that you would, you would put down normally if, if there was no wind, you would put that timing step down on the setter's contact, which would allow you to use the rest of your four-step approach to get up and contact the ball at the optimal height that you can. Mm. Um, so if we're talking about wind and we're, and we're lowering that set, then that timing step or that first step of your approach wouldn't happen on setter's contact. We would almost have to be maybe moving on to that left step, if not putting that left step down, depending on how windy it is. You know, I would say mm -hmm. the windier it gets, the lower you're going to play. I think that's a, that's kind of a, a, a pretty good um, thing to think about is that if you're playing in fifth, 12 <laughs> to 18 mile per hour winds, then you, you're probably going to be leaning forward and getting ready to put that left step down. If you're yeah. playing on 18 to 22 mile per hour winds, then you might already be on that left step when the setter's touching the ball. Yeah. So I like that. And yeah. when we do talk about timing steps, it, just remember that you're trying to get to the same, in the same timing area every play. 
Because when you ask for a higher set, but you are on the second step of your approach, it means that you were early, right? Or you were late. So if you can find the variable to hold still, you should be that variable. What foot are you putting down when the setter is contacting the ball? That doesn't mean that you're just going after that foot. You still control the, the next two or three steps. So in a normal environment, most players, most AVP players are putting their right foot down when the sitter's contacting it. But that doesn't mean that they're just, you know, they're going at 30 miles an hour no matter what. It means that that's when they're starting that step so that the next steps fall into some kind of consistent time window, right? And if you don't have that step down or you're on a different step each time the sitter contacts the ball, then you're always changing the variable and you're asking your setter to change what they give you when you have an inconsistency in your approach. So getting that timing step to be maybe on your left step, maybe your left step even becomes your timing step at that point when that's when that setter uh, is contacting the ball in low wind. But that doesn't mean that you're just gone. You kind of hold on to that left step, still see it, and then have a quicker gather. Which would bring me to my next point. You don't always need to throw your arms back full, right? When we have these lower kind of out of control uh, sets and the wind is blowing the ball around, to go through your full four-step approach with the same timing, the same depth, and big, long, flowy arms, you're usually not going to have a lot of those opportunities. So you might be able to shorten the depth of your jump so that your butt doesn't drop quite as low. You're gonna have more of a tap jump instead of getting deep and squatting. Your arms might even shorten. So instead of throwing your hands back behind you in order to get that big double arm lift, you can do an elbow pump into uh, that spike approach and that will help you get off the ground just a little bit faster. So you might end up in extreme wind tapping the ground and like using a plyo jump rather than getting that deep squat and that long kind of flowy thing. Ideally, you don't have to, but you're going to have to learn how to use jab swings where you just quickly tap the ball instead of full open hard swings. And that will, you'll run out of time if it's extremely windy and you want to go through your full sequence. And if you can do that in the wind, you'll be way better for when you're in transition situations and you need to rush the defense in normal conditions, right? We don't always have to win with power. You can just be ready to tap and slap before the defense is ready. And that won't feel like a full volleyball swing. It'll just feel like you're kind of patting or giving the ball a high five instead of actually swinging. But it's useful, especially in the wind and especially if you want to rush the defense before they're in position. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think a lot of people don't realize, they almost feel like they're doing something wrong not going through that full movement you know but obviously when it's windy and you're you're trying to beat a team based on the wind because really at that point it's who's better in the wind you know and if you can shorten up all those movements and kind of go go quick then the shots don't have to be perfect as long as you're putting them in the in the location that you want because they still have to make a dig they still have to get up get set and do their own hit which more than likely if you're listening to this podcast then they might not know the tricks that we're giving you and they might go high which is going to make it very difficult for them um but yeah so i think that's really good um 
and I'm going to kind of going back to the offense. Um, one thing that I didn't really think about too much until I moved out to California, where we have like a very, very consistent wind off of the ocean mm. almost every single day. It's a west to east wind. I think setting yourself up offensively so that you can attack into the wind. That's something that I picked up on recently. I didn't really think about it too much. Um, but as I've incorporated in, into my game in California, started to use it everywhere else. And it really does make the game a lot easier. And so what I, what I mean by this is, let's say if you're, if you're at home and the wind is blowing from your left side to your right side, Okay, so it's blowing from your left shoulder to your right shoulder. If you're a, if you're a left side player, then that means that when the set gets set to you, it's going to be trailing away from you. You know, which if that happens to you, that means that you're going to be chasing, which means that you're not going to be able to put a whole lot of power onto this ball, and you're probably limiting your shots because now you're you're not even able to contact this ball at your peak. You're you're going to be reaching forward towards that towards that set that got blown away from you. So instead, even if you're on the left side of the court, that would be considered the bad side. Mm -hmm. And after you pass, it's really easy. It's not too complicated for any level. It, it does take some practice, and may, especially for the set, but going behind the setter. So just not staying on your side of the court, because now if you go behind, then your cross-court swing, which should be your favorite swing, most people's it is, um, now you're hitting back into the wind, um, which hitting into the wind is always a lot more fun because now you can kind of unload on this ball. You can put whatever spin you want on the ball, and it's, and it's really hard to hit this ball out. Um, you know, and I, I think just really understanding what the wind is doing and how you can set yourselves up. And the good thing about it is in, in beach volleyball, most of the time you're on a side for seven points or, or five points if you're mm -hmm. in a set of three. So when, when you get over there, you just need to do a quick analyzation of what is this wind doing? Is it, is it at my face? If it's at your face, then once again, green light go for it, you know, hit that ball as hard as you want. You're probably going to leave that ball in the court because the wind's going to be pushing that ball down. If it's from the left side to the right side, then think about positioning yourself on the court so that your favorite hard cross swing is back into the wind. And then yes. kind of the same thing. If you feel the wind at the back of your neck, then sometimes you're, you're not going to be able to hit this ball as hard as you possibly want, or if you're shooting, you just have to realize that it's going to carry a little bit further than you'd like it to. Um, so I, I just really understanding what the wind is doing and then setting yourself up to be successful using that wind. Um, I think I think that that's a, a lot of people don't think about that, you know, especially at the lower levels. They just think that they have to stay on their side. Oh, I'm a left side. Oh, I'm a right side. Mm -hmm. um, but once that ball is in play, you can switch back and forth all you want. You can go behind, you can go outside, you can go back, whatever. Um, just got to do what's going to help you out the most. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So if you're talking about offense, I'm going to counter you with defense. So how do we now defend you hitting and dicing into the wind all the time? So 
when you're defending, most people do want to hit hard into the wind. Knowing that they want to hit hard into the wind, you could always dive into their wind side. So if the wind is coming from this side, it's coming from this side, then I'm going to run a two on this side because I'm going to block the way that the ball is being carried, right? I know that the wind, if it's sideways, that it's going to bring the ball in that direction and that hitter is going to have to chase it in on any mistake sets. If that set goes up and down, the wind is going to push it sideways. So I want to block the part of the court, usually, that the wind is blowing the ball to because the hitter will have to chase that ball with the wind and they're going to get lower. So all of those errors are going to happen towards the wind. So that's the area of the court that I want to block. Right. And when I do that, since I'm doing that now, somebody who has to shoot, they have to shoot over me with the wind. And a lot of times what they do is they slow their arm down because they know that they have to be really light with the ball if they want to keep it in. So they'll just kind of push their hand there and they'll just kind of tap it instead of keeping a quick snappy arm swing. So it's an easier way to make sure that any mistakes that happen, the common ones that will happen, the set will be pulled with the wind or pushed with the wind. So I want to block that side. And then I'm going to force them to go the opposite direction of their body if they want to bring heat, right? Most of the time, they won't really be able to if they're chasing that set inside. And then I'll have a good opportunity. In extreme wind, I'm probably not even going to, if they're in trouble in any way, I'm not really even going to pick a side. I'm definitely not going to sit on a sideline. I'm going to sit five, six, seven feet inside the court and make sure that I cover all of the space. That is, if I draw a three-foot box inside the court, right? So I take three steps or I take one giant step, which is three feet inside each sideline, and I draw that box, that's the space that I'm going to cover defensively. If you want to ping the sidelines all day, that's fine. You can, and it, you earned it if you played a perfect game. But I'm going to make sure that I grab all of the digs that are happening on that inner window. So I like to block wind side. And then every now and then, of course, we're going to throw in a bunch of changes. And I'm not going to give away my entire defensive and offensive strategy for wind. <laughs> but uh, there are some good starting points that you'll see most players utilizing. Okay, And players that can control that defensive game and then take care of their side and then get a dig. And then once you get that dig, also going and trying to hit from the good side. There's a lot more movement when it comes to that windy game. So once I get that dig, now I got to fight again to go downwind so that I could hit into the wind. Yeah, and and I think like a lot of people are probably like, oh my gosh, like I'm already tired at the end of a game. And now you're expecting me to like run backwards and do all this other stuff. But the good thing about this is like when you are adjusting like that on offense, the defense has to do the exact same adjustments. Mm -hmm. So everybody is constantly moving. And if you're on offense, that's an amazing thing because now those defenders have become more visible. You know, if a defender can just kind of sit there and not move for an entire point, that's when seeing them becomes very difficult. Mm -hmm. But if they're in the back of the court, like, oh, my gosh, I got to go this way. Oh, my gosh, I got to go this way. Then that's when you can kind of pick up on them a little bit easier. And now, even though you went back, you're finishing the point right away. And now you can catch your breath because you finish the point really quickly instead of having these long, drawn out rallies that just looks like wind ball.
Yeah. So I like it. Um, and so since I kind of talked about attacking before and then you went to defense, uh, I also wanted to kind of talk about the same. It's it, not really a different conversation by any means when I was talking about attacking. Um, but you need to make sure that you can use those same keys and ideas when you're at the service line, too. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's something that we I, I wish I had kind of said during the attacking portion because it's very similar, you know. Uh, if it's a if it's a left to right wind and you're you're on the side of the court where that's happening, then setting yourself up on the right side of the court and hitting your serve, whether it's a float or a jumper, cross court into their right side player um, into the wind, yeah, into the wind. Then that's going to make their job a lot more difficult. Um, same kind of idea if you're back serving and you feel that wind in your face, then you kind of have the idea that it's going to be hard for you to miss long, you know? Yeah. So if you want to go for your serve, if you want to, if you want to like put some pressure on them with some power, you can. Um, I think one of the big issues that we see with people that have the wind in their face and they're serving is a lot of times if they're going to make an error there, it's into the net. Um, and that, I think that that happens because you don't necessarily compute the fact that of how much power you need um so a lot of the times uh you'll hear coaches say this a lot is don't be scared to miss long you know and it's it, I, I go back and forth on this <laughs> saying because i don't like promoting missing but i think the idea and the mechanical benefits that come from that saying are very very good you know um because if you are thinking about missing long, especially if you keep the ball somewhat close to the top of the net, it's very difficult to do. Um, so I, I think that that's a good point to talk about. Yeah, definitely. I do like serving power and float into the wind, but also if, and if we're still talking about that side wind, if the wind is blowing in a direction, I want to serve straight down that sideline that the wind is blowing towards right? Because I'm going to try to serve down that sideline. And here's what I hope. I hope that if that player tries to pass back to the middle that they miss and they end up passing outside the court and the wind keeps blowing that ball off of the court. If I serve down somebody's sideline, usually trying to get an ace that goes outside the court and they shank it, but the wind is bringing the ball back into the court, it ends up, even their mistakes end up as a perfect pass. Right. If I want to chip one kind of quick and I'm going to have to be a little bit lighter, more accurate because the wind is trying to blow it out of bounds and I can't hit it as hard as I can, then that sideline serve where the, the player who is downwind, if they can shank a ball or if they try to pass it straight in front of it, them and it keeps blowing off of the court, now the setter has this big run through set that they have to do. And the counter of that is if they make too big of an angle and they try to bring the ball hard back into the middle, it's going to have sort of this diagonal uh, spin, and it, that's also going to be difficult to set because the setter is going to be too early, and they're going to have to backpedal, and then they might get in trouble there. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of options. Finally, we'll just talk a little bit about setting because we did get a comment here as we were talking uh, from Christine on YouTube. And should you bump set, should you hand set? If your partner can pass low and there's a little bit of spin on the ball, it's kind of easy to hand set. The floaty ones in the wind are really tough to hand set when you get that gusty wind and the ball is moving in random places. 
But this whole idea of when people try to take spin off of a path, everybody needs to stop that conversation. Doesn't make any sense. The physics of it just won't promote good passing. And in the wind, if you could put just a little bit of English onto your pass, then you're going to make it easier for your set. So if your partner can pass to you nice and low and you could use your hands and you're in a good position, then yeah, why not use your hands? You can control it. You can manipulate it. You can take it a little bit lower. You can take it a little bit higher, right? If you want to bump set, great. But here's going to be the key if you bump set. If you want to set a little bit higher or a little bit further and your set is fighting the wind, your set's going into the wind, you have to find a way to match the spin into the wind so that that ball sits still. It cuts through the air. If you bump set or hand set high or a far distance and you're fighting the wind, that ball is going to be the nastiest knuckleball you've ever seen. It's going to move everywhere and now your hitter is basically like trying to swat a fly. It's so unpredictable where they go and they're going to be tentative and then they're going to get dug. So if you're setting into the wind and it's a far distance or you want to sit high, find a way to put spin onto that so it cuts the wind. However, if we're doing the offense where we go back, then I can set however I want because I don't need that spin. So if you don't have a spin bump set, get it. If you're not there yet, make sure your hitter goes back if you have some side wind so that you can pass that ball and the wind will carry it without floating it. So now the ball will still be moving in a straight line. And that's the big advantage of going around back so that you can hit into the good side is that you can use your hand or your bump set and you don't have to worry about putting any English on it. I like that. And then I got to kind of head head out after this little comment, but um, Mark, I need to meet you in person because yeah, I feel like he's is this been Mark Zen again or Myers. Mark, Mark Zen. He's, he's been it. at every single one of these, and I, every single time he says something, it's great. Uh, he says, We practice at our school courts, and they're relatively protected from wind. When playing teams that always practice at the beach, we're definitely at a disadvantage. And I think I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I think that while you are at practice, you can still create scenarios that your players have to follow. Yes. You know, you can say, hey, for this next drill, the wind is going to be blowing from this side of the court to this side of the court. And maybe you extend the court on that side by a couple feet to make it a little bit trickier. You know, you know, I, I ju it just popped into my mind. I've never done this before, but I think it would be something that could work. Uh, maybe if you're if you're dealing with a headwind, maybe you extend the court on the other side of the net by a foot or two, you know. And I think that uh, if you can, <clears throat> I know that you're not doing this, Mark, because I can tell that you're a phenomenal coach just from how, how, how much you're listening. But if we go into matches just automatically thinking, oh, it's a windy day, we're at a disadvantage, then that kind of brings me back to my first point of, of just your, that's already you stepping into that kind of negative self-talk. Mm. And if we can create these environments at practice so mark maybe if you want to shoot me an email or something like that um maybe we can talk about this and brainstorm and come up with some really cool idea um but i i think that there's something that we could do to create this environment without necessarily having it um so i just wanted to kind of bring yeah. that up because i kind of had like a light bulb moment at, at some point that i, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into at some point
Yeah. I like just giving, even like just giving those responsibilities, say yeah. every time you set, you need to use a bump spin set. Mm hmm because we're going to pretend the wind is somewhere. Just yeah. getting somebody to pretend that the wind is there or, or forcing them to learn how to bump spin set, at least they'll have a skill that's prepared for that right. environment. Or same thing. On on this one, you have to go back. You are yes. not allowed to stay on the left side of the court. You know, like making every single person have to go do a back set. Uh, that way you just, it's when you get to the beach and, and you feel that wind, maybe it's uh, it's not the first time that they felt it. No. The last one that I would give is is play our under the top of the antenna game. Mm -hmm. Every pass, dig, and set need to stay underneath the top of the antenna so that you get used to that when you need it. You get used to moving faster, positioning early, waiting for touches so that you can control that. And that develops yeah. strength and agility too because your players have to sit longer and hold their strength into those low deep leg positions. Yeah. So there's a, there's a number. You could extend the court. You can force back sets. You can force spin sets. And you can play the under the top of the antenna game. And those are great ways when you're in a non-windy place to simulate wind so that mm -hmm. your teams are not freaking out when it does happen. Yeah, I, I love that under under the top of the antenna idea because that's the, that's the whole reason that we do this low ball is mm -hmm. because when you are closer to the ground, you're eliminating some of the wind. Yeah. So it's not going to feel too much different than normal play if you if you run speed ball at practice. Right. Cool. cool. Well, guys, this was a great session. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to Brandon. I'm going to go through some announcements, and then if anybody has any questions, we can hang out and talk then. I'll see you all <laughs> next time. All right. So, guys, just a couple announcements. Um, we do have below, you'll find a link, a full ball control and serve receive masterclass waiting for you. So if you want to buy that as a standalone course, you can click that link underneath. If you want to get involved in our coaching program, which means that we meet with you twice a week, you post your videos onto our private Facebook group, and we get to coach you, your game not just a course that you're watching, but your whole game, uh, and we have all a discourse with each other, then you're going to go to betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching. Okay, You can check that out. We meet twice a week. You get access to every single course we have and our Max Vertical program. Every video we've ever made gets uploaded to that back end for our members, and it's cleanly organized so that you can find every skill in every area. And uh, I invite you to that so that we can hang out a couple times. We do have, if you are a coach, 50 plus practice plans readily designed for you. Just go to betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans. And we have upcoming clinics in Salt Lake City, Ozark, San Francisco. I have not yet added New York to this. We might be going to Boston for St. Patty's Day, a little bucket list for me. I'd love to spend a St. Patrick's Day in Boston. And uh, we have a number of clinics. And if you want us to come and run a clinic in your hometown, we'll bring pro coaches, pro players, and we run three sessions on a Saturday. And if there is interest, we do private training on the Friday night before that and the Sunday morning after. So if you want us to come to your hometown, hang out with you and teach you volley for a little while, go to betteratbeach.com forward slash clinics and you can find our dates, our cities, or book us for a date. Okay. And lastly, we have three spots left 
for our April training camp. It's seven-day training camp in St. Pete Beach, Florida. Uh, this is the earliest we have ever sold out, and we keep selling out earlier and earlier and earlier. So three spots left. I imagine they'll be gone by the end of this day uh, since we've put out this announcement, but I hope you can make it. And as soon as that sells out, we do have a waiting list. People's plans change. So uh, you will be able to get on the waiting list and we'll tell you if somebody drops, you'll be the first people that we contact and you'll have probably 30 minutes to book it once we send out that message. If you guys have any questions, I'm going to be here for one more minute. If not, I'm going to prepare for my online coaching group where they're going to meet me in person. We have a Zoom meeting. We meet face-to-face, and I'm going to check out all of their videos and give my commentary and critique on their games and their exercises because we are about to move into the 60-day max vertical program. If you want to join us live, you won't. You have missed the first week since you missed the sign-up for the Foundations group, but you might be able to play a little bit catch-up and get with us for the 60-day live max vertical session which lasts two months guaranteed to increase your vertical jump hope you join for that as well you can see that on our home page betteratbeach.com all right guys have a great day thanks for joining everything that you can find it can be found on betteratbeach.com my name is mark burrick and i am signing off have a great day